great to be back with all of you again. This place is and has been very dear to me, and any chance to bring God's Word here is truly a joy for me. And to stand in a pulpit where Bill Elliott and Clayton Bell and Ron Skates and Brian Dunnigan all have stood is just kind of holy ground. Except I've known Ron for the longest, and Ron and I were rascals together as associates, so it's a little tainted, just a little tainted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you today about what it means to live with the heart of the Father. You're in a whole series on that. And when you begin to see the heart of the Father, you see where God's passions and God's values actually are lying. Nancy Ortberg encouraged you last week to see the heart of the Father for work and for your workplace before that, Charlie Dunn was helping you see the heart of the Father as one who guides and leads like a good shepherd, etc., etc. So you're seeing aspects of the heart of the Father, but your job as a listener is to begin to say, which parts of God's heart should be in my heart? Because that's the imitation part, that's the transformation part, that we become like the one we serve. But I've got some bad news. Tell your neighbor, get ready, he's going to tell you bad news. Tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him. Okay. I want you to notice the slide up here, and we're going to say it together. This is the bad news. The self is persistent. Quietly, subtly, ingeniously, it works its way back to the center. Okay, that's the bad news. You're longing to be contagioned with the heart of God. You've got something in your flesh that keeps saying no. So I want to read you two passages of Scripture. One is coming from the book of Hosea. And in Hosea, in this 11th chapter, Israel is being personified as a child. And God is the father of that child. So listen to the word. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they didn't know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them, and I fed them. And then from the New Testament, from Mark's Gospel, a passage about Jesus and children. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands upon them. May God bless the reading of this, his word, that we may grow to know the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, shape our hearts to become like the heart of the Father. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by telling you two different stories about two different children who ended up in very similar situations. The first happened in a country church in a village in what is now Croatia. One day near the beginning of the 20th century, and for those of you born more recently, that's a whole long time ago, long time ago, an altar boy by the name of Josip Broz was helping the village priest celebrate Mass. In the middle of the service, the boy accidentally dropped a glass cruet of wine on a marble floor like that one, and it shattered, smashed to pieces. The priest was very upset. He slapped the boy and said, leave the altar and don't come back. Well, that boy left and he did not come back. And Josef Brotz grew up to be known by the name of Tito, the communist leader of Yugoslavia after World War II. He never came back to the church. Did the priest express the heart of the father? About the same time, an altar boy named Peter Sheen was assisting a priest in a mass at St. Mary's Cathedral in Peoria, Illinois. This altar boy also dropped a glass cruet of wine that smashed on a marble floor in a cathedral and shattered into pieces. He later wrote, there was no atomic explosion that can equal the intensity of decibels and the noise and explosive force of a wine cruet falling on a marble floor of a cathedral in the presence of a bishop. I was frightened to death. The celebrant that morning was Bishop John Spaulding, and as that glass broke, the bishop looked at the boy and with a warm twinkle in his eye said, someday you'll become like I am. Two different priests, two different situations. That man, that little boy, Peter Sheen, grew up and became probably the most famous bishop in the American Catholic Church, his name was Fulton Sheen, and he was the very first Catholic priest to use television to broadcast his message, and more people heard him than any other. Two children influenced in very different ways. Let's look at the powerful influence of Jesus in our story as Jesus is expressing the heart of the Father. He often said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. So we start with what I would call the draw of Jesus. Jesus is winsome and magnetic, and people want to get around, and fishermen drop their nets to follow. 
tax collectors left their work. A woman who discovered she was forgiven couldn't help but touch his feet with this expensive perfume. In Mark, we find a group of parents flocking to Jesus with their children. They're likely small children. The word used suggests that they're probably under 12 years old. The verb they were bringing suggests they were probably mostly in the arms or in the hands of the parents. They were brought for the purpose of just being touched by Jesus and receiving a blessing. They weren't asking for anything else. They were just curiously drawn to Jesus. The first song you tend to learn when you hang around a church like this one as children. Do you remember what it is? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, when children learn that, they learn quickly that mm, Jesus is somehow winsome and attractive and drawing. Often they'll learn, secondly, Jesus loves the little children. Never underestimate the power of Jesus on a child. Now, Hosea 11 was offering this very tender picture of God the Father stooping down and feeding a child way down here. It was Calvin who said when God wants to communicate with us as a father, he lisps so we get it. Wow, what a father. A few months ago, I was watching your live stream and Larry Glasscock was right up there being interviewed about working with children and how much he loved working with children. Now, what you don't know is Larry and I went to college together. He was the fastest person in my college. And so we just had, a great, but to see him now, with this heart of a child. Reminds me of this man in my life named Kirk Staley, who was the clerk of the session, Central Presbyterian, where I grew up in Oklahoma City. He was in his 60s, and he and his wife, Verniel, had no children and thus no grandchildren. And for some reason, as precocious as I was, he decided to adopt me. And precocious I was as a child. I was the pastor's son, and once I crawled under all the pews, wiggling in and out of each leg and I showed up on the back row and popped up and of course my dad said go get your son to my mother so I was disowned for just a minute but on that back row sat Kirk Staley and Kirk took up the challenge at that point and decided he was going to pick me up every Sunday after worship there was a little draw here his wife always had dentine gum and a group of us would go back and see her. We never knew her name, but she was the lady who gives us gum. And so we would get our gum, and then Kirk would pick me up, walk me across the hall into the church parlor, and he would show me three pictures. One of those pictures is in every church somewhere. It's in a closet here probably, but it's Jesus knocking on the door, not particularly effective great world art. But uh, he would always tell me, now, do you see there's no handle on the door? And he would say, Jimmy, I was Jimmy then, one day the Lord is going to knock on the door of your heart and you're going to need to answer it from the inside and let him in. And then he would walk me to the next picture, which was on the other side of the window. And it was Jesus holding the lamb in his arms. And he would say, Jimmy, you're that little lamb. He's got you. And all through your life, whatever you go through, you got to know he's got you. The third picture is not on every church wall, but it was a very interesting one of Jesus sort of dancing with children. But all this, every Sunday, this was the liturgy. We would do this every Sunday. We would take a tour, and it started to get into my soul. I think Jesus 
has the heart of the father for children. Now, it's easy not to get that. It's easy to let things in our life confuse us about what's really valuable. Because here's a secret. Sometimes kids can be annoying, especially in worship. Do I hear an amen? Any parents? Okay, sometimes, not always, but just sometimes. And sometimes they wiggle. And sometimes they fidget. And sometimes they play tic-tac-toe. And all of those things. And, and at home, they can even be sometimes more annoying. But we often forget how much children are drawn to Jesus through us. So Soren Kierkegaard would tell this interesting little parable that I use a lot. He says that it was a jewelry store. And in the middle of the night, a thief broke in and the thief was the devil. And the thief didn't steal anything. The thief simply changed the price tags on everything. So that what actually was rather expensive looked cheap. What was really rather cheap looked expensive. And then Kierkegaard said, what Jesus is doing all through his ministry is he's putting the price tags back on the right things. And children are one of those very valuable things. But guess what? This story is equally about the disciples. And it's about every disciple. And it's about the disciples who whose self comes back ingeniously to the center again because his disciples in this story suddenly have assumed their job description is to be a bouncer or a bodyguard. And they have to be rebuked by Jesus because that's not your job. Controlling children and keeping them away from me is not your job. Now, this is the 10th chapter of Mark. It's about two years into his ministry. You would have thought that they would have figured this out by now, but they're still kind of dense and they don't get it. And so Jesus has to rebuke them from this job. I remember it was, I was 10 years old. I was living in Oklahoma City again. It was March. There was an exhibition baseball game between uh, the Houston Astros, who had a minor league team there, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers had just won the world championship. They were kind of a big deal. And so I was able to wait around after the game, right by the clubhouse, which was accessible, to get autographs. And I got autographs from people you've never heard of that played one game in the major leagues. And I got autographs from pitchers who got hit up. But I was going for the big fish. I wanted to get the autograph of Don Drysdale. He was a big deal back then. I mean, he had actually had an appearance on the Beverly Hillbillies, which validated how big and a deal he was. And so I waited and here he came. And as I walked up to him with my pen and paper, you know what he said to me? Get lost, kid. Now I know your Los Angeles Dodger pitcher would never do such a thing in this church, but that one did. And I remember that day, because that's probably what these kids first heard from the disciples. Get lost, kid. Yikes. In that society, children really had no power. They had no status. A rabbi once wrote that mid-morning sleep, midday wine, chattering with children and tarrying in places where men of common assemble, they destroy a man. Chattering with children destroys a man. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not true. Would you do that now? Say, that's not true. But the disciples didn't want Jesus being bothered. And so the third thing to notice in this text is the surprising anger of Jesus. Jesus does not get angry very often. But he gets angry when the heart of the Father is crossed. And so he gets angry when they're messing up the temple. He gets angry when there's a... Uh, a disease that had deformed a leper, and he's angry now at his own disciples. If you read the Chronicles of Narnia, every now and then when Aslan is a little disturbed about the wrong value, Aslan will just growl. I think that's what Jesus did, because the word says indignant, it literally means to snort like a horse. Kind of like that. And so something is wrong in this scene, and Jesus then quickly corrects them and opens his arms wide. One of the things I loved about the church I used to pastor in Colorado Springs is we had a bronze right at the doorway coming in of Jesus with this arm open and children would regularly crawl right up into his lap as if to realize, yes, Jesus is actually very safe. In the old Presbyterian hymn book, there was a song called Tell Me the Stories of Jesus. I love to hear. And the second verse goes like this. First, let me hear how the children stood round his knee, and I shall fancy his blessing resting on me, words full of kindness, deeds full of grace, all in the love light of Jesus' face. Our job as disciples is to teach children the heart of the Father, which is strong toward children. And so you've got an important job. So I just want to see a few hands. Let me see everybody in here that is or has been a mother. Let me see mothers, mothers. Okay. Okay. Now let me see the hands of people who have been fathers, fathers, fathers. Now all who have been grandparents. Let me see those grandparents, grandparents, grandparents. Um, and then finally aunts and uncles. All aunts and uncles raise hands. Okay. All aunts. And, okay. That means that as Christians, your job is to let children know that they are very special to God. And your internal value needs to be I'm going to be valuing children like Jesus is valuing children. Because Jesus actually goes on to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like these children. It's like this flourishing kind of children in the midst of it. And, and you've got to become like them to get in the kingdom of God. And what you may not know is how many children meet Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. We now call that in missions the 414 window. Yes, there's a 1040 window that's a, a, a geographical area where the most people who don't know Christ live. But the 414 window, there are 1.2 billion children in that window right now needing Jesus. And every church should be having preschools like you do and various day schools so that they can hear about Jesus. But the big job is yours. The big job is yours. So one writer said it this way, the church needs to be a place where children may be dynamically connect with God and engage in meaningful participation, discipled, equipped, and empowered for life and ministry. Take raising these children seriously. So then nearly at the end, Jesus picks up those children, those very children that were shooed away. He picks them all up, puts them in his arms, and he puts his hand of blessing upon them. He blesses them. I told you at Christmas, you're a child of God. So I just want you to have you turn to the person on your right and left. And would you quickly just say, bless you, 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 bless you. 
Now, if there happens to be a children anywhere within your sight, would you give them a double portion and turn around and look at them? There's one, there's one, there's one. And just say, oh, bless you, bless you, bless you. Now, some of you might be asking, okay, now why is a 67-year-old preacher urging us on about children? Well, I just want you to know, I'm in this story with many of you. Two years ago, Sarah and I adopted one of our grandchildren and we raised him full-time, 10 years old, full of mischief. He is a 49er fan. That's what's on his shirt. Every night we do the bed, bath, and beyond routine. And beyond takes a lot of time. I could get more things read. Is it easy? No. Does it demand a lot? Yes. But you know, I just keep welcoming and blessing Hunter Singleton in the name of Jesus. Do you want to be swept up in the heart of the Father? Do you want that to just sweep over you and go, that's who I want to be? Whatever he values, I want to value. And there are a lot of things he values, and we could go on with a long series on this. But one of them is children. And so first, you've got to recognize, do I have the right value? I'm not sure I've got it. Do I need to change something? Secondly, I've got to repent. I've got to say, Lord, turn me upside down. I want to be different. And third, I've got to request a new heart. Years ago, my wife was in South Africa, met a woman named Beatrice, went by her house in a little township, and believe it or not, Beatrice was raising 27 children. And my wife said, now, how are you raising 27? I mean, why would you do this? And you know, Beatrice had one simple answer. Well, I went to Sunday school. I went to church. I learned this is the value on the heart of God. That's why I do it. Okay, so next time Jay is trying to sign up people to work in Sunday school here, you want the heart of the Father? Next time it's time to go take the youth on an overnight. They're kind of annoying at times, especially junior high, but do you want the heart of the Father? I'm just saying this is concrete and this is real action. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you far more than we know. We need you to give us the heart of the Father so that we can respond to this world like you respond. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Lord, peace.